Since 2012, when Google trained a system to recognize cats in YouTube videos, artificial intelligence has come a long way. Today, AI systems are capable of performing a wide range of tasks, from analyzing medical images to translating languages and driving cars. On this special edition of Short Briefings on Long-Term Thinking, we will be exploring the topic of AI in more depth. We'll be hearing from two of our investment managers who will share their insights and experiences with investing in companies using AI to drive innovation and solve complex problems. Do you notice anything different about that introduction? A change in voice? A change in pace, maybe? A new author? Now you're getting closer. It was, in fact, written by an AI, specifically ChatGPT. It's an online tool that writes all manner of text, from essays to scripts to computer code. You can give it a brief description of what you want, and within seconds it produces what might have taken you minutes or hours to craft. The platform was developed by the US research lab OpenAI, in which Microsoft is a major investor. Over the next 25 minutes, you'll hear more about other innovations in the field from Kirsty Gibson, co-manager of Bailey Gifford US Growth Trust and the American Fund, and Julia Angeles, joint manager of the Health Innovation Fund. But before we start, some important information. Please remember that as with all investments, your capital is at risk and your income is not guaranteed. I'm Malcolm Borthwick, Managing Editor at Bailey Gifford, and as mentioned earlier by my AI assistant, this is a special episode. We recorded the following conversation at our recent Ideas 22 conference. I started by asking Kirsty to explain what artificial intelligence means. Artificial intelligence is is a technology that enables a machine to simulate human behavior. It's like an artificial brain, but it's a super brain. And then we have terms like machine learning, which is a subset of artificial intelligence. And what that is looking to do is to automatically enable a machine to learn from past data without being explicitly programmed to do so. So with AI, we're looking for an intelligence system to replicate a specific task as a human would, Whereas with machine learning, what we're doing is to teach a machine using past data to to perform a particular task and to do that with a high degree of accuracy. So that might be something like, um, can you recognize from these millions of pictures that you presented with, which of these moles are cancerous and which are not? And then just to add confusion to all these new terms, machine learning is how an AI learns. So machine learning is how an AI develops its intelligence. And then we have subsets of machine learning, things like neural networks and deep learning. And these are about how that learning is structured. So it's about models are given more freedom, they're supervised less in order to learn. So I I like to think of artificial intelligence as a little bit of a spectrum. At the one end, you have machine learning, a kind of, um, you know, bare bones, real data crunching end of the machine learning spectrum. You know, is there a cat in this picture or is there not? And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have the kind of general AI, which would be if you are presenting this AI with an unfamiliar task, are they able to start generating a solution to that? So I think, and I'm no expert in AI, but I think a really useful analogy that's helped me to bring all those pieces of that jigsaw together is to think of a toddler. And if you think about how a toddler learns, they start off learning through being taught, through practicing, and through receiving feedback. And that's like that machine learning phase. 
then you have the fact that the toddlers then take that information, then they start experimenting, maybe getting themselves into a little bit of trouble here and there. And that's like that neural network phase. And then finally, they start teaching themselves. And that's because they've developed the necessary algorithms in order to do so. They have the algorithms in their mind to be able to do that. And that's kind of like that general AI phase. The main difference, I guess, being between a general AI and a toddler, the sheer quantity of data that they're able to consume and also the speed at which they learn is quite different. Mm -hmm. So I think what that serves to illustrate is that when I conceptualized AI at the beginning there, it sounds like something that's in the future. But the reality is it is here and now with those sort of machine learning and neural network phases. Whilst they are still early in their opportunity, they are much more mature than that general AI which still remains an opportunity for the future. Um, I love the way that you describe the different ends of the spectrum with um, AI. It's, it's also, I think, fair to say there, there are a lot of differing opinions on, on that spectrum about artificial intelligence. And it was interesting chatting to friends and colleagues just in the run-up to this conference, because it is something that demise opinion. But I, I think that's quite natural in the sense that new technology often both fascinates and frightens people. Is that just human nature, Julia? No, absolutely. And despite that Kirsten make it so easy, the way we are kind of the way she explained what AI is, but it is very complex uh, um, technology. And anything complex tends to frighten humankind. And it's very understandable. If you think about AI, it's probably even most frightening technology out there. First of all, it's sort of invisible. We don't even realize it's already here. And it's kind of, it works, it built on um, semiconductor chips. So it's a software that needs semiconductor chips to run on. And we can almost think about it as a living organism. So the, the semi-silicon, it's its body. And the small transistors, it's its heart, beating hearts, many, many hearts that make it so efficient. But what is even more powerful is that it's, it's self-learning. But also sometimes we don't really even understand how AI actually comes to certain conclusions and decisions. And that means we are losing control of that technology. And when we are losing control, we naturally feel very uncomfortable. So in many ways, I'm trying to say, yes, it could be scary. And, you know, but at the same time, you know, what is actually way out of scare and being frightened is actually knowledge, it's information. It's trying to understand what technology is, what potential it is for humanity, and what potential dangers and abuse of the technology. And in that context, I believe that regulation is going to play a role there to help us normal human beings. But it's also not just to say up to regulators because they can overregulate and they actually don't understand the technology. But it's also up to the companies who are developing technologies. So we call it kind of bottom-up ethical practices on the company levels because they do understand all the details and how they develop technologies. They are responsible for doing it in an ethical way so it doesn't get abused. And actually, and there are already examples of the companies that, uh, that actually trying um, to really enforce those ethical practices. For example, I came across a company that uh, develops emotional AI. And immediately, you know, when we think about emotional AI, our fantasy can go very quickly into how it can be used for the good purposes, but also can be abused in surveillance, for example. And this company has been approached by different governments for that sort of application, and they just said no. It's not what they want to develop this technology for. And actually, they also, their bonus um, 
scheme for the developers is linked to how they can actually remove the bias out of data. So it, it is kind of, you know, so we already see companies are trying to, to do it responsibly and also try to strong, um, send strong signals to the, to the society out there. And we just need more of those. And is emotional AI something that simulates our emotions, is it? Is that... Yes, so it's, yeah. it's, it's a machine that actually can start reading how we feel. So right. it's based on our language and our facial expression and our body language. So it's still a minefield, but they made really incredible progress. Kirsty, a lot of AI is already here, but what's the scale of the opportunity for investors with artificial intelligence? I think that's a, I mean, it's a really interesting question, but it's a really difficult question to answer. So I think I probably, approach that from kind of two two sort of directions, from a kind of theoretical perspective, and then hopefully we can move on and discuss some company specifics. But so I think to start with, it's the recognition that machine learning and artificial intelligence have been in existence for the best part of 60 years. But what's really changed over the past sort of decade or so has been this like massive explosion in the sheer quantity of data that we have around us. And that's been enabled by um, things like sensors, but it's also been enabled by computing power, the chips that we have that are able to, to generate data, to collect that data, and our ability to store it through things like cloud computing. And what's most interesting for me is, is that data explosion has not been specific to just one or two industry verticals. It's not just been e-commerce. It's not just been advertising or social media. It's across the different spectrum. It includes manufacturing companies that have sensors that are monitoring how they're manufacturing, monitoring things to try and preempt whether there's going to be a fault. And so that data explosion that is vast and it's been across industries. And I think that is a good starting point on how to think about the scale of the opportunity. It is potentially vast as well. I think the other way to potentially think about it is I read a book recently called Competing in the Age of AI. And it talks about this concept of an exponential system coming into contact with a saturated one. And it's this idea that the more people embrace data and machine learning and artificial intelligence, the more others are going to have to do so because you simply cannot compete with an, a system that is moving that fast. Any industry that doesn't sort of embrace what is currently happening is going to be left behind. And I think part of this comes from the fact that AI breaks down silos within businesses. So it used to be that you'd have marketing data and product data and you know, sales data and HR data. And ultimately, in order to generate insights that potentially humans are not aware of, we have to bring all that data together. We bring all those data sets together, store them in a sort of cloud offering, and we can then analyze them and we can run various models. So that's breaking down the silos within industries, but then you're also seeing the breaking down of traditional industry verticals themselves. And we saw this with the emergence of something like Alibaba, the e-commerce giant in China, moving into what has traditionally been a sort of very high barrier to entry market, which is banking. And they could do that, not just because they wanted to and they needed to, but they had the data they had the knowledge base to move into that different industry vertical. And I think that speaks to just a broader and more interesting point, which is when you see a new technology, if that's the right word to describe um, artificial intelligence, emerge, it's not just about replacement. It's also about unlocking new opportunities and new ways of doing things. And that is also suggestive to me of the potential scale of opportunity that's here. Yeah, and that, that data is, is really significant, as you're saying. Um, Julia, let's, uh, I mean, you're, you're 
area of focus in the health innovation strategy is, is healthcare, clearly. Give me some examples of where you're seeing um, artificial intelligence being used in healthcare. Yeah, no, I just agree with Kirsty so much when she talked about big data, you know, that convergence of data and uh, AI and what the difference it can make for, for different industries. And I think healthcare is probably one which is really ripe for massive change. And also, if you think about the human biology, it's probably the most complex system out there. And the way we studied in the past, it was, as you say, silos, because we haven't been able first to gather relevant data to different parts of biology, but also integrate it in a thoughtful way. And first time actually in human history, we are actually in position to do it. And the reason why we can do it first, we can gather all the relevant data to human biology, like genomics, proteomics, it's microbiome, microbiome, it's bugs that live in our gut. So we can pull all this data, and it's just trillions of data points. It's not just, you know, so, and it's a massive complexity. So I call biology actually a problem of large numbers, massive numbers. And then when you combine it with artificial intelligence, suddenly you have an opportunity actually to unlock this complexity. And there were healthcare is actually going through the massive transformation. So first, this technology is used to understand the biology. And when we start understanding the human biology, we can start uh, studying diseases and what actually leads to what are underlying sources of diseases. If we understand that, we can start developing diagnostic tools that are very, very much precise, and we can start diagnosing diseases much earlier in their evolution. But beyond that, we can also develop um, proper targets for diseases, so those much more precise targets. And also we can develop medicines from bottom up, uh, designing small molecular drugs or like messenger RNA by actually applying artificial intelligence. And if just to provide two examples of some of the companies we are really excited about, like Moderna. So many people are familiar with Moderna because we, we, we know what messenger RNA is already and how that's impacted our... Um, ability to fight against COVID-19. But what many people don't know that actually in order to design the messenger RNA vaccine, AI also is used to actually to design the sequence because the way you put the sequence together for the spike protein, it would impact how it expresses in your body. Uh, in quantities, so to make it more effective, you know, to reduce the immune response. So it's it's actually very powerful technology just in the design stage. But also Moderna is using AI to possibly predict how virus is going to mutate over time before it's actually mutated. And that could put us in a much stronger position actually in the pandemic preparedness or endemic, so we can actually be an advance of virus rather than keep chasing it. So this is entirely transformative the way we can potentially treat infectious diseases. So this is just one of the examples. And another one, which is also, I really think is quite cool, it's a company called Exciencia. They build small molecular drugs, atom by atom, by using AI. And the advantage of doing that approach by using that technology is that traditionally, because, you know, you know the way we used to design drugs is optimizing first for efficacy and then for safety. And normally drugs actually fail because of the safety. So because they're very potent, but then they attack everything else in the body that makes them unusable. But if we could optimize in parallel for those two things, so there is trade-offs between efficacy and safety, suddenly we actually have higher chance of those drugs coming, actually working for patients. And that's exactly what Exencia does. They're using artificial intelligence for, to optimize for those, for those two properties simultaneously. 
and we can already see that those drugs are very, very different. So it's entirely reinventing how we approach health in many ways, but as I mentioned, it's a spectrum. So it's not just one area, it's just, it's so broad. And that maybe to, to your point, Kirsty, like in, in, it's across many industries, but when you start also going deeper in one particular industry, you also see the breadth of the application, it's just not one thing. Um, it's interesting, I, th- I think um, the, the benefits of uh, artificial intelligence and healthcare is often something which is uh, underestimated in terms of how significant it is. Because this is a, a massive problem in terms of costs. So if we look at um, uh, US healthcare spend between 1970 and 2019, um, healthcare spending in the US as a percentage of GDP has more than doubled. So it's increased from 7% to around about 18%, which is massive. You talk about that convergence point between science and data. So will AI hopefully bring down healthcare costs over time? Well, that's a hope, and probably it's not just a hope. We're already seeing somehow companies actually, by utilizing these technologies, they increase the efficiency on their invested capital. Moderna is one example. But yeah, so traditionally, the reason why health, I mean, there are many different reasons why healthcare is expensive, but we can just maybe stay with drugs, just just drugs in, in themselves. And, you know, they're very difficult to develop because of the complexity of human biology. So normally it takes more than 10 years, it takes billions of dollars, and then chance of success is around 10%. So it's a very, very difficult industry to be in. And then, of course, in order to compensate for all this risk-taking and uh, capital, the pharma companies charging quite high prices. But with AI, we can potentially uh, have an opportunity to kind of entirely reinvent the business models in drug development. And it's just because we're kind of coming out of the darkness when you talk about the light. And I feel like AI, even though, you know, light has made such a difference, but within the biology, we, we're still pretty much in a dark box. And AI has an opportunity to bring us out of the darkness because we start finally getting some control over the complexity, biological complexity, and de-risking the drug development. And when we change in the risk profile, suddenly the economics looks very different, and that would eventually play into the kind of overall cost of healthcare. Kirsty, let's look at some other sectors that you're looking at from an investment perspective that's interesting you. Yes, I think I think the the core point um, that we've sort of both touched on up to now is that ultimately, you know, the AI is a data problem, and the fact is, as I mentioned in my last comments, that it is. That, that data collection is happening across industries. So there's a lot happening in the lots of different industries. So for example, we can take something like the advertising industry. Um, there's a, a company listed in the US called The Trade Desk. And what The Trade Desk is, is an, um, it's a demand side programmatic advertising platform. Now that's a lot of words, but what that really means is that they use data to help their customers buy advertising. So if the three of us were watching the same television program at home on a connected device, we can then be served advertisements that are relevant to each of us at the same ad break. So what that does is it moves us from a world of who who is the average viewer and who do I want to attract to who is actually watching this and how, how do I advertise to them in a relevant way. And that's possible because the trade desk can process over 12 million ads per second. <laughs> wow. I mean, that that's one just... I mean, I can't even begin to, to process how, how fast that is, but also that's just something that a human would never be able to achieve. They also have a dedicated AI platform called its COA platform, and that's designed for its customers. And that enables customers to, it means that they can automatically 
um, send advertising dollars to those areas that are being successful and remove advertising dollars from those areas that are struggling at any one point in time. That is a real-time thing. Then you move to an industry like transportation. Um, now, we all know that Elon Musk and Tesla are looking to make autonomous vehicles, but there's a company in the US called Aurora that listed last year. And what Aurora is looking to do is autonomous trucking. Now, trucks are big, heavy um, pieces of machinery and having them hurtling down a highway without somebody behind the wheel is potentially a scary prospect for people. And what Aurora has been doing is training what's known as its Aurora driver. And that driver is its autonomous software. And that driver, what they've been doing is training it and adding features over time. And the most recent feature that they've added is the ability for that driver to navigate roadworks. And the challenge with roadworks is that many of these autonomous software companies, sorry, autonomous driving companies use um, sort of sensors to understand whether or not you've moved out of your lane. You know, are you still yeah. in your lane? Now, the challenge with roadworks is it usually requires you to move out of your lane. And quite often, it requires you to cross multiple lanes to go around the, um, the blockage. That's difficult to program or difficult to learn about because it's not binary. It's not as simple as saying red light means stop, green light means go. It, it requires experience. No matter how many times you see roadworks, you're never going to see those precise roadworks. So that is about learning. And that is, the, that is what the Aurora driver has been doing. It's been learning how do I use my previous experience is of roadworks and how do I apply that to the situation I'm confronted with in real life. And then you have an industry like insurance. And this is really interesting because AI has the potential to not just disrupt the business model, but also the product itself. So if you think, if you boil insurance down to what it fundamentally is, it's about um, data. It's about monetizing statistics. And um, it's probability theory, which is ultimately what AI is looking to, to achieve as well. And so... How can AI disrupt the insurance industry? Well, it can actually disrupt the domain over which legacy players had over the one factor of production, and that's data and monetizing that data, so data and statistics. Because these AI models and insurance can potentially come in bringing in data that those legacy players don't even have access to or they've never collected data on. And that means that you, you develop a model in which others just can't compete. So... There's a company listed in the US called Lemonade Insurance, and they are embracing the power of artificial intelligence when it comes to their insurance offering. So they have an AI called AI Maya, and AI Maya is um, the, she, she deals with premiums, so policies, and she asks 13 questions and collects over 1,700 data points on, through those questions, including things like, how long did you spend answering a question? How many times have you, visit, have you visited the website? Did you read all the terms and conditions, etc.? And as a consequence of that, decides how to price your premium and can price your premium, therefore, based on you as an individual, again, as I mentioned with the trade desk, rather than putting you in a kind of average pool of what's expected of somebody within your demographic. Then they also have AI Gym, and AI Gym deals with claims management. So if you um, need to make a claim on your insurance, as long you, you contact um, Lemonade, you're, you put in contact with AI Gym, and as long as that claim is within the guidelines of your policy, then it will pay out. Now, the opportunity here is, is one, to reduce the cost, as we saw in healthcare, to potentially reduce the cost of insurance, because you're... you're 
you'll be able to better identify the bad actors. You're not clubbed together. The good actors and bad actors are not clubbed together and given an average price. You can be priced as an individual. And the second thing is there's a potential to lower the cost for the companies operating in the industry because the administrative burden of people phoning to make claims is taken on by an AI rather than, rather than humans. Um, yes, sorry, I just find it fascinating what you actually talk, Kirsty, about as a lot of personalization. And the same theme actually is very powerful in healthcare space because if you think about most of the drugs are developed for other ages, and when you actually assess how effective those drugs in real life, most of them actually don't work because either they're not effective or they cause very severe um, side effects. And that's also, there is a paradigm shift in healthcare. Can we actually develop drug first for more stratified populations, you know, based on, for example, the genomic profile, but also going much more personalized, truly patient by patient. And again, bringing Moderna back, so they're working on the personalized cancer vaccine. When each individual cancer is assessed for its its profile, and then the vaccine is developed specifically for that profile, for that patient. And without AI, you, you just can't do it because it's effective, it's quick, and yeah, and it's, yeah, and it's cheap. So, so this is kind of the same kind of personalization, which was not able, we are not being able to approach it in that way without that technology. Kirsty, you started the conversation by talking about the toddler maybe going through its um, uh, growing pains in terms of growing up um, and that correlation with artificial intelligence. How do you see that toddler um, developing over the next 10 years or so? Yeah, so, so I, think, I think you can sort of use that analogy as well for the industry itself. So I think you're kind of, we're probably in that kind of toddler stage. And then you probably see that potential for that sort of childlike delight stage, all the excitement about what's possible. And then maybe you move into the kind of moody teenage phase where you know, they're shut in their room, you don't know what's going on. It is a bit of a black box. We're not entirely sure what they're thinking, how they're thinking. And you, and I think that's the emergence of kind of the, the general AI side of things, that, that it's hard to know exactly what's going on. But I think that in itself is is less of a concern if, if you know, as as when you're bringing up a teenager, that, that you've put the guidelines in place that eventually they kind of pop out as a valuable member of society, um, even if they went through a few growing pains at the time. And I think it speaks to that idea of, you know, if you instill the right values and you recognize the, the potential biases and externalities of what you are trying to achieve, that as long as those are potentially in place before you start, you will go through those periods of, of not understanding, not knowing exactly what's going on. But, you know, there is, there is a light after the darkness of hiding in your room for five years. Um, it's this idea, isn't it, of artificial general intelligence or AGI that DeepMind, um, owned by uh, Google parent Alphabet, um, are trying to get to over the long term. But it's something, and, and you did talk about this earlier with Aurora, this idea of edge case with uh, roadblocks and a, a pigeon flying up. But it, it's hard to underestimate quite how difficult this is in terms of understanding consciousness, learning from mistakes. It's, it's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think the challenge is that we don't really truly, uh, as Julia mentioned earlier, like even understand how our own brains work. We don't know how we make the connections that we do. Um, you know, we, we're potentially developing AIs that can understand emotion, but do they truly understand emotion yet? Because what people's faces say and their body language says, is that the same as what's in their head? 
And, and we don't necessarily know how we arrive at the conclusions that we do. But ultimately, it's about making connections. And over time, AIs are making more and more connections. And they're making those connections at a faster pace because this is an exponentially improving technology. That was Kirsty Gibson, co-manager of the Bailey Gifford US Growth Trust and the American Fund, and Julie Angeles, joint manager of our Health Innovation Fund. A video recording of the full session can be found on the Insight section of our website at baileygifford.com forward slash insights. And the longer version includes a discussion about ethics and how Bailey Gifford itself is exploring AI or artificial intelligence. But for now, I hope you enjoyed this special edition of short briefings on long-term thinking. As ever, thanks for investing your time in this podcast. Mm -hmm.